Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today? Well, that was good. I like that. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. So what pops in your mind when somebody says, I love you? I love you too. That's good. I like it. We'll come back to that question in just a minute, but, uh, but that's what we're talking about today, and we're digging into this incredibly important uh, topic. For now, I want you to fill in the blank for me, okay? If I say to you, uh, fill in this blank, my aim in life is to be blank. Just think about that for a minute. What goes in that phrase? Uh, my aim in life is to be successful. My aim in life is to be happy. It's to be comfortable. It's to be secure. Maybe my aim in life is to be recognized. Maybe your aim in life is to have fun. Maybe it's to have a dry diaper. I don't know. What, what, is, what is your aim in life? The fact of the matter is all of us have an aim in life, whether we've taken the time to think through it or not. You get to be my age, you think about diapers again. You understand. <laughs> whether, whether, people are clapping for me. I'm like, God, Pastor has a dry diaper. Just, just checking to see if this mic's on. But the bottom line is that we all have this, I call it our central core value. There's this thing in life that we've decided, whether we know it or not, and, it, and we call on it every day. In fact, we call on it for every decision in life. In other words, if your central core value is fun and you get two invitations, which one are you going to accept? The one that's more fun, right? If your central core value is security and you get two invitations, which one are you going to accept? The one that feels safer, right? If it's comfort, which one? The one that's easiest, the one that stretches you the least. If it's to be recognized, which one? It's the one where you're going to, be, you're going to stand out the most. You're going to get to be noticed or get to be seen. The bottom line is that our central core value, whatever it is, ultimately defines the decisions that we make in life. But what I need you to understand is it's not so important that we ask what it is as it is that we ask what should it be. What should our core value be? Be. The good news is the Bible gives us the answer to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, that simply says, make love your core value. Make love your greatest aim. We're kicking off a whole new series today that I am really pumped about because it's one of the topics of our day that are desperately needed, and we're simply calling it love is a verb. We're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like, what the Bible says about it. Anybody agree with me that it's a huge need today to talk about? Uh, it is, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest, guys. We live in a world of disposable relationships. We live in a world of, of dysfunctional relationships. And quite frankly, there is so much misinformation about what love is out there that even the people that want to get it right are confused by what it even means. Ask a bunch of people for a definition, and there's no telling how many different definitions you're going to get. So for the next six weeks, we're going to explore this. We're going to dig into what the Bible says, and we're mainly going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to study that during the week, please do. If you brought your Bible today, you want to flip there or a smartphone or an iPad or something, uh, the they'll be on the screens as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks as we lean into this idea that love is, in fact, a verb. Well, all I want to do today, kind of get the wheels turning in our heads, is, is I, want to, uh, I want to see if we can establish a biblical definition of love. 
What is it the Bible says love actually is? I want us to identify some of the topics that we're going to cover during the series, kind of whet your appetite and get you thinking, maybe even get you thinking about some friends or family members who need to be here on those particular days and plan to bring somebody to church with you that day. Don't look at them and say, Pastor is going to really go after you today. You need to come with me, you know, but uh, <laughs> there may be some days that are really good days for somebody that you're in relationship with. Hey, let's go here what the Bible says on this subject, and let's go home and talk about how we can apply that into our lives. But first, let's just unpack that question. Why is love so important? Why would God say, make love your greatest aim? Paul actually opens the love chapter, chapter 13 of, of Corinthians, by laying out for us five reasons why love is so critically important. As quickly as I can, let's walk through those five reasons, and then we're going to get into our definition today, okay? Reason number one is Paul writes, without love, all I say is ineffective. Say it with me. Without love, all I say is ineffective. One more time. All I say is Okay, you got it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Pastor Jim paraphrased, words without love are just noise. I've got two amens. Anybody agree with me that we live in a culture that's impressed by charismatic communicators? Whether there's any substance behind them or not? Yeah. Bill Clinton, one of the best of our times in that area, has a shadow over his presidency and his legacy simply because he didn't know the difference between lust and love. Those are the realities of our days, guys. Hear me. God is not impressed with oratory, and people over the long haul are not either. And that's why Paul starts this whole message by saying words without love are ineffective. The church at Corinth that he was writing to was really confused on this topic. They, they were proud of their spiritual eloquence. You read through the book of 1 Corinthians and you'll find out they put a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues and prophetic words and all that kind of stuff. And God is saying to us, great, that's fine, but you're majoring on the minors because while you're so worried about the words that you're saying, your families are broken and dysfunctional and sin is rampant in the church and you're not doing anything about it. It's more important, guys, that we get it right on a character level than we get it right on a words level. Let it inform us. Anybody agree with me that communication is huge in relationships? A anybody agree with that one? Yeah. So let me ask you another way. Has anybody ever said to you, we're just not communicating these days? Even though there are a lot of words passing between you? <laughs> communication is more than just words. Words without love is ineffective. We're going to unpack that one in a lot of detail during this series. Second reason that love should be our greatest aim is that without love, all I know is incomplete. Say with me, all I know is incomplete. One more time, all I know is incomplete. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, you can have a Phi Beta Kappa key, you can be a member of Mensa, you can have so many degrees they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. <laughs> you can be a walking Bible encyclopedia, you can memorize the whole New Testament, you can split theological hairs 16 ways, you can have the answer to every biblical trivia question they can throw at you, but if you don't love, you know what God says? So what? He says, in fact, knowledge puffs up, love 
builds up. I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying don't learn. Learn. I'm saying it's not enough just to have information. And let me give you evidence of that. I read just some time ago, I was doing a little research, and I ran across a a thing that said that knowledge these days, in the age of computers and, and all the power that we have, knowledge is doubling every five years. Knowledge on the world is doubling every five years. Pastor Andrew did some research this past week, and he discovered that that's changed now. It's now doubling every 13 months. In other words, not only is knowledge growing, but the rate at which knowledge is growing is exploding in the world. And isn't that wonderful? Because all of man's problems are now solved. We know so much. What am I saying? I'm saying the world isn't looking for more knowledge. It's looking for love. Without love, all I say is ineffective. All I know is incomplete. Number three, without love, all I... Come on, you want to say it with me? All I believe is insufficient. For those of you guys that are new to me, if I don't get feedback, I don't know if you're there because I got these bright lights in my eyes. And if I can't hear you, I don't know if you're there. So I explain it some more. We will not beat the Baptist to the restaurant if you don't work with me, okay? So help me out, all right? Ready? All I believe is insufficient verse 2b and if i have faith that can move mountains but i have not love i am there's a common misconception out there that being a christian is about believing something some people might actually say i'm a christian because i believe in jesus and i say the bible says that demons believe in jesus and tremble don't make them christians It's not about believing in him. It's about loving him. Now, again, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying uh, that, that, that right doctrine isn't important. Of course it is. I'm just saying don't stop with just knowing doctrine. Ask yourself the question, and this is huge for an awful lot of people. Ask yourself the question, do I know that I know that I know that God actually loves me? Not just loves the world. Yeah, for God so loved the world. Got it. How about me? God loves me. You ever let that wash over you? God loves me. Then ask yourself the question, once you know that, how does that impact the way you respond to him? When he calls you into his presence, do you rush into his presence or is there some sin that makes you hesitate to come into his holiness? Ask yourself the question, if I know that God loves me and I respond to his love wholly, then how does that affect the way you treat the people in your life? See, this is huge, guys. Christianity has beliefs. It has doctrines. But Christianity is not a system of beliefs. That's religion. Christianity is a lifestyle of love. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Without love, all that I say is ineffective. All that I know is incomplete. All that I believe is insufficient. Number four, without love, all I give is insignificant. All I some of you guys are doing really good. Some of you are just being really shy. It's just too, it just ain't cool to talk in church, right? All I 
give is insignificant. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor but have not love, I gain nothing. Again, am I saying don't give? Thank you. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But have you figured out yet that people can give for lots of different reasons? You figured that one out yet? You ever known anybody, don't look at them, but you, you ever known anybody to give to impress people? I mean, the only reason they gave is to get their name on a plaque. Jesus had a group of people in his life that were like that, called them Pharisees, and he had his harshest words for them. You ever known anybody to give uh, for power, for leverage? Adult kids, uh, adult parents who give to their adult kids so they can feel like they have the power to speak into how they live their lives? You ever know anybody to give out of guilt? Absentee parents who are never around, but their kids have $200 tennis shoes that light up 15 ways? Again, I'm not saying don't give. I'm just saying God says you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Like the husband who said, I gave my wife everything, and she still filed for divorce. He learned the hard way that you can buy the biggest diamond on the planet, but without love, it doesn't count. Of course, Kim says, love me, and diamonds are good too. <laughs> Number five, without love, all I do is, you guys are finally getting into it, and that's the last one in the list. I don't know what we're going to do. Without love, all I do is inadequate. Verse 3b, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Simply put, I can rack up a long list of achievements. I can succeed in all kinds of ways. I can be the who's who of great accomplishments. I can sacrifice my life for a great cause. But if love isn't my motive, it doesn't count. Again, not suggesting accomplishments are bad. By all means, it's accomplish everything you can. But I'm just saying that love is infinitely more important. The bottom line is this. I've got to move on. But the bottom line is this. One day, God's going to do an audit of all of our lives, and He's not going to focus on your accomplishments. He's not going to focus on your bank account. He's going to focus on your character and your relationships because that's the only two things you can take into eternity with you. So let's summarize these five before we move on. I can have the eloquence of an orator. I can have the knowledge of a genius. I can have the faith of a miracle worker. I can have the generosity of a philanthropist. I can have the dedication of a martyr. But if I don't love, it doesn't count. Seems to me Paul's hitting it from about every angle you can hit it from to emphasize that there is no greater aim in life than love. Life minus love equals zero. Here's how Paul wrote it to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3 verse 14. God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So always do these things. Now, he didn't say do these things to earn his love. Is that what he said? He said, he loves you, therefore, respond to his love in this way. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, patient. Do not be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, then forgive him. Forgive each other, because the Lord forgave you. Do all these things, but most important, most important, did I say most important? Most important, love each 
other. Love is what holds you together in the perfect unity. Guys, we're not going to always agree with each other. Hello, was this microphone on? I don't even agree with myself sometimes. I mean, every now and then I go, man, you used to think that? Are you kidding? Are you stupid or something? What in the world? We're not going to always agree with each other. But if there's a genuine love for one another and trust comes out of that, then we can be in unity with one another even when we disagree. But without it, it all begins to fall apart, which brings us back to my opening question. What pops in your mind when somebody says, I love you? I mean, because let's be honest, guys, there are so many ways that we use the word love. It's crazy. I mean, I love my wife. Anybody see Kim up here leading worship today? Yes! Love to see Kim uh, worship. I love to see her sing. So excited. Two weeks from now, we celebrate our 41st wedding anniversary. Of course, she was six when we got married. You know that, right? Which makes me, uh, we're not even going to say that. But I love my wife. I love God. I love America. I love apple pie. You know, love the Redskins. Praying they win the Super Bowl today. I believe in miracles. <laughs> you know, I, I love to read. I love to play golf. I, I love to eat apple pie. Did I mention I love apple pie? If you love me, you'll bake me an apple pie. I mean, it's just, you know. When it comes down to it, nobody seems to be able to define it, so I, I needed an answer. I need to be able to come here and give you a definition, so I went to the ultimate source of information. I Googled it. <laughs> That's right. That's where we go for answers nowadays, right? And the best article I found, found some cool articles, but the best one I found, uh, my favorite of all, was five theories on what they call five theories on the greatest emotion of all. And I knew we were in trouble right off the bat because love is not an emotion. Hello? Love is not a feeling. Oh, love produces feelings. Oh, oh it produces an ocean of feelings. It a wide range of feelings. There are all kinds of feelings that follow love. There's a quiver in our liver because of love, right? But it's not a feeling. It is so much more than an emotion. So I know I'm in trouble right to start with. But as I read, I saw some nuances of truth, some little details of truth in every one of the five theories. The physicist said that love is chemistry. And there's some truth in that. In fact, the scientists that have studied this, these things say that when somebody falls in love, there is a chemical release that actually takes place uh, in your body. It's, I can't pronounce the, the chemical. I call them phenethylmermans. You know, what's just kind of this thing that happens. And, and, you know, somebody comes to work one day, and they used to be a real astute worker and, and, and focused, and now all of a sudden they're just sitting at their desk kind of dazed. And everybody says, what's going on with Joe? Oh, Joe's in love. You've heard the saying, uh, love is blind. I say love is stupid. It's just, we just kind of go stupid. We just kind of go, I'm in love. <sighs> it's a flush of endorphins that takes place. Now, here's the problem. Uh, 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 if that's all you view it as, th that flush of endorphins, again, scientists have studied this stuff, that flush of endorphins lasts for about 12 to 18 months. And if that's all you got 12 to 18 months in, you got to have something to get another flush of endorphins, right? So you get married. Go on a honeymoon. Have another flush of endorphins. 12 to 18 months in, you have a baby. Another flush of endorphins. After five or six or eight kids, it's time to come up with a little deeper reason for 
love to, are you with me? I mean, there is. I mean, there's scientific proof that there's these endorphins that get released. But love's got to be more than that or we're all in trouble. The psychotherapist said, love is so multifaceted, it's impossible to experience it all. In other words, I don't have a clue. <laughs> the philosopher said, love is passionate commitment. For the philosopher, it's just this powerful feeling that leads to devotion. Is that true? Yeah, but it's not enough. To the romantic writer, uh, love drives all great stories. One writer said that, that love depends on where you are in relationship. The definition of love depends on where you are in relationship with it. If you are secure in love, it can actually be kind of mundane, just almost unnoticeable. But if you don't have love, it can become an obsession to get it. The religious person said that love is both freeing and binding, that we are called to love, therefore we are bound to love, and yet when we love, we're set free because of love. I mean, all of those have some truth to them, but none of them really provide a definition. So Google failed me this week, guys. If only, if only God who invented love, who embodies love, if only he defined it for us, we might have an answer. Oh, he did? <laughs> First Corinthians 13 packs and unpacks it for us very beautifully in five facets of a definition. Let's just walk through these quickly. Let's see if we can come up with a working definition, and then let's set our hearts to pray and seek that God would help us to make love our greatest. And you want to get into it? How do we define love? God does it in five ways. First of all, he says love is an action. Love is not something you feel, something you say. There are feelings associated with it. There are words associated with it. But love is so much more. Love is something that you do. He even gives us a pretty good list of actions to take. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7. I'll put it on the screens. Here we go. Let's read it all together. One, two, three, go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Does that sound like feeling words to you? or doing words. Those are doing words. Love does this. Love does not do that. It's a list. Like the guy who said to his girlfriend, oh, Carol, I love you so much, I'd die for you. And she says, oh, Harold, you're always saying that, but you never do it. <laughs> love is a demonstration, not an inclination. Second part of the definition, love is a choice. Love is a choice. There's a myth out there, pretty commonly held. It's pretty popular in movies and novels, and that is that love is this uncontrollable feeling. Oh, I fell in love. I never intended to fall in love. I just fell in love. As if I'm walking along one day, and somebody left the cover off of the manhole cover, and I fell in, right? Oh, I fell in love. <gasps> you understand the problem with that? Is that same person two or three years later, after the Finney and Ethel Mermans have worn off, will say, I just don't love him. I love you. I'm just not in love with you. <laughs> love is a 
choice. It's not based on the feelings. Feelings come and go. Kim and I have been married 41 years. They've been an amazing adventure. We think the best is yet to come. But there have been some seasons when Kim didn't like me very much during this period, and I earned it. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say no, darling. <laughs> and every married person in the room said, that's true. Guys, if love was a feeling, God wouldn't have commanded it because you can't command a feeling. Am I right? You ever been upset, I mean really upset, and somebody looked at you and said, there is no reason for you to feel that way. Stop it. And you went, oh, okay, fine. Is that how it works? That is not how it works. You ever, you ever uh, disciplined your child, gave your kid a spanking? And they're going, ah! And you say, stop it. Stop right now. I'm trying, I just can't, right? You can't command a feeling. In fact, the greater expression of love is when you act in loving ways, you choose to act in loving ways when you don't feel like it. Love is acting in a loving way in the middle of the night with a sick child when you've got to get up in the morning and go to work. Love is being patient with a spouse who's acting like a jerk right now. Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. In fact, here's a working definition that I've used through the years that works pretty well for me. It's helped me as I think about the relationships in my life. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. Love is committing to give a person what they need, not what they deserve. And that can take on all kinds of forms. Sometimes that takes on the form of mercy. Kim and I were talking this week. There was a time when our three boys, our boys are all grown and have their own families now, but when they were growing up, Adam... Uh, got in trouble so many times, back to back. He was grounded for the rest of his life. <laughs> he was never going to get out of it, you know. And, and we talked about this thing, and, and we decided, you know what? The most loving thing we can do for Adam right now is just forgive him. And so we went and said, Adam, you're free. We forgive you. We're just going to extend the mercy. You get a fresh start. And he went, what's the catch? There's no catch. We've just decided to give you a fresh start try to get it better this time and it, it rocked his world because he was accustomed to being held accountable he wasn't accustomed to being forgiven we wanted him to understand that's how God operates at the same time sometimes loving involves accountability I mean you don't do a drug addict or an alcoholic any favors when you ignore or excuse their behavior that's called enabling that's not called loving Either way, whether it's on the mercy side or the accountability side, Paul says make sure your motive is love. That same Adam who had a lot of trouble growing up, becoming an adult man. He's a wonderfully married uh, husband and father now. They're part of the church that Kim and I led in Chesapeake for so long, and, and we're so incredibly proud of them as a family. But there was one adult conversation I had with Adam uh, after he was out of the house. He said, Dad, I, I didn't always like what you did didn't always agree with the decisions you made but I never once in my whole life have questioned that your motive for what you did is your love for me there's nothing you can ask for as a father greater than that amen Paul says make loving people your number one 
objective. To do that, you have to remember that love is not a feeling. It produces feelings, but it's more than that. It is an action. It is a choice. It's a commitment. Love is a verb. But Paul isn't done yet. He goes on to say that love is limitless. Look at verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Love never fails. Pastor Jim, my, my love failed. I guess I had a false love. Don't be too hard on yourself. You were probably taught a false view of what love is. The truth is, love is the only thing that's eternal. I mean, we, talk, we started this conversation today talking about this idea of a central core value that would define your decisions in life. The truth of the matter is any central core value you can choose is, is temporary except love. Is that true? I mean, if you live for fun, how long does fun last? Not long. If you live for money, how long does that last? Not to the end of the month most of the time. Right? If you live for pleasure, how long does that last? Pleasure's fine, by all means, but it's, it can't be the basis for y'all. If you live for popularity, how long does the approval of others last? Not long. Every core value that you can come up with ultimately fail, except love never fails. Look at verse 13. So these three things continue how long? Forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, you understand why love is greater than even faith and hope? Is because we won't need faith or hope in heaven. Our faith is that Jesus Christ has gone to prepare heaven for us and he's going to come back and receive us. And we believe that and it defines our lives and it defines our choices in life and it defines how we relate to one another because we sincerely believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, not his, ours. And he rose from the grave and he's gone to prepare heaven. We believe that. You won't have to believe that when you get there. You will see the scars in his hands. The hope that he is, in fact, coming back is what sustains us when life gets tough. This is earth, not heaven. We aren't there yet, but we're going to be. When we lose someone that's close to us, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have hope. We're going to be together in heaven forever. But we won't need those things in heaven because we will be together. But heaven is full of love because the Bible says clearly God is love not love is god it's not what i'm saying today i'm saying god is love not god has love god is love and when we're finally in his presence we will finally know fully what that means but love isn't just about how god treats us is it look at john 13 34 and 5, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. In other words, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, love is not an option. It's a lifestyle that you're called to. We're created in the image of God. And who does God love? Everybody. That means that you and I have the capacity to love anyone. Now, let me throw this in just for the sake of you that are still single. You won't have to put any extra in the offering for this, but it's a good one. Okay, you ready for it? You understand what that means? It means that God has given you the capacity to love anybody, even somebody that's not good for you. 
but I love him, but I love her. Okay, are they helping you to become closer to Christ? Are they helping you to move closer to what God's purpose for is in your life? If not, you might need to put some distance in here. Just because you love them doesn't mean they are good for you. You dating couples need to be aware of that. As you enter into relationship, God's given us the capacity to love anybody because he loves everybody. Loves an action, loves a choice, loves a commitment. Love is limitless. And then finally, love is unconditional. How did Jesus say to love? From that John 13 passage, how did he say to do it? Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, Jesus is both our model and our resource of what love is. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. God's love is our model. It is our source. It is our resource. We all know that one. But how about 1 John 3.16? Do you know that one? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, love is committing to give somebody what they need, not what they deserve. You understand Jesus laid down his life for you while you were still thumbing your nose at him? While you were still rebelling against him? He loved you so much he gave his life for you? That's the model. That's the source. Does that sound like a feeling or an action? A choice, a commitment to you to give us what we need, not what we deserve. And that's the way we're called to love each other. The problem is God's love is unconditional. Our love is almost always conditional. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, even the way we say it to each other, we don't realize it sometimes, but when we say things like, I love you because fill in the blank. You understand you just put a condition on your love? I love you because of the way I feel when I'm around you. Well, what happens when you don't feel that way when you're around them? I love you because you're so talented. Well, what happens if they lose their talent? I love you because you're so beautiful. Well, beauty fades over time, right? I mean, what do you do? I love you because anything. doesn't matter what goes on the other side of the blank. I love you because you get such good grades in school. Well, what if they get a C this time? You don't love them anymore? I mean, we, we put conditions on our love all of the time, uh, and, and, and it's almost impossible for us to break that cycle in our humanity until we remember that God is the source, God is the model, and His love is absolutely unconditional. God doesn't say, I love you because. He says, I love you, period. I love you not because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more or make me love you less, because there are no conditions on my love for you, God says, to all of you. And yet for us, conditions are normal. I heard Joyce Meyer say this just this past week. I don't know if it's true, but it came from Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer would never lie. Can I get an amen in the house? She says there's a new store in New York City called the Husband Store. Have you heard about this? 
So there are some guidelines to the store, and, and you have to understand the guidelines, but you can go there and shop for a husband. Um, and here are the guidelines. There's six floors uh, to the building. Once you visit a floor, you have to decide whether you're going to shop for a husband on that floor or move to the next floor, okay? Um, if you move to the next floor, you can't go back. It's the only guideline. Once you move forward, you can't go back. So here's one woman visited the store, Joyce says, and, and when she got to the first floor, there was a sign there that says, this floor has men who have jobs. That's pretty good. I don't have a husband that has a job. That's not a bad deal. But maybe it gets better as we go. So she decided she would go on to the second floor, and there she found a sign that says, this floor has men who have jobs and love kids. Oh, and now, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. But something in her compelled her to go to the third floor. So she goes to the third floor, and sure enough, there's a sign there that says this floor has men who have jobs, who love kids, and who are really, really good looking. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. I might want to pick me a husband from here, but something compelled her to go to the fourth floor just to see what's there. So she got to the fourth floor, saw a sign. This floor has jobs. Uh, this has men who have jobs, who love kids, who are good looking, and who help with the housework. Okay. Maybe that's okay, but again, ah, there's some more floors. Something compelled her to go to the next floor, and there she saw a sign that says, this floor has men who have jobs, who love kids, who are incredibly good-looking, who help with the housework, and have a romantic streak. Ooh. Ooh. But something, there's six floors. Something said, I got go to the sixth floor and so she went on to the sixth floor and when she got there there's a sign that said you are visitor 31,546,342 to visit there are no men on this floor it only exists to prove that women are impossible to please <laughs> now to avoid gender bias the man decided that he would build a wife store across the street. There was a man, same guidelines, sixth floor, same guidelines. A man went to that store. He got to the first floor. He saw a sign, and the sign said, women on this floor have money. <laughs> okay. You know, rich women need love too, <laughs> right? But maybe I'll go to the second floor and see. Well, I got to the second floor, and the sign said, this floor has women who have money and who love sex. Floors three through six have never been visited by a man. <laughs> because human love is conditional. God's love is not. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack five key phrases from 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at the power of patience. You all want to skip that weekend, right? We're going to look at dealing with ego. The Bible says love does not boast. We're going to look at how to give and get respect. Huge. Love does not dishonor others. We're going to look at managing your anger. Love is not easily angered, the Bible says. And we're going to look at speaking the truth in love. We're going to look at communication in our love relationships, whether we're talking about marriage or friendship 
or parent-child or our parent and adult parent or neighbors or co-workers. We're going to look at how love impacts the relationships in our lives. For now, let me tell you, and I'll hush, none of the stuff we're going to talk about over the next five or six weeks are possible. You might as well just stay home. If you think you're going to do it in your own power. If you think you're going to learn how to do this stuff, and because you now know you're going to get it right from now on. The fact of the matter is, the kind of love that God calls us to is humanly impossible. It is, it is impossible to give this kind of love unless you have a resource of love to draw on. It's impossible to be as gracious as the people in our lives need us to be unless we have received grace. Amen? It's impossible to be a forgiver unless we've been forgiven. It's in receiving love. It's in receiving grace. It's in receiving forgiveness. In receiving all these things that we are able to give them away. So let me just challenge you right up front. Don't even attempt to go down this road with us on this journey and learn these things unless you understand and accept and embrace. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Would you pray with me? Father, we're going to have some fun with this topic over the next few weeks because it is one of those topics that we can all relate to so personally and intimately. But in the quietness of this moment, would you see our hearts and let us know that you see us just the way we are and love us just the way we are. Love us too much for us to stay the way we are. You love us where we are on our journey. That you're not even slightly concerned with how well we're doing in this love arena right now. You are concerned with where we go from here. So we just stop in your presence. <coughs> Pray a simple prayer. Would you join me in that prayer? You Pray silently. Pray aloud. Pray in your own words if you like. But Would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, I need a source in order to give the love that the people in my life need from me. Man, I mess this one up a lot. Forgive me. And help me to make love the greatest aim in my life. I know that it only comes when I make you the center of my life. So that's what I'm doing right now. I am yours. I'm yours. You show yourself powerful to me and through me, and I will give you the glory for everything that you do. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying across this room. You know the thoughts that go through their mind when I ask what pops in your head when somebody says, I love you. 
And I do pray that you would make up the difference between what we're capable of and what this topic calls on us to do and be. And we'll give you thanks at the end of the day. In Jesus' name.